you. I uh, I think we're gonna you're, you're gonna see the hand of God again this morning as we go through the text and um, with the, in, in alignment with the music. And uh, I just want you to know that Travis and I don't sit down uh, during the week, and other worship leaders we don't sit down and strategize and try and come up with songs that will make it seem like we're brilliant or that somehow God is doing this, but we pray together and pray uh, in harmony that God would show up in the selection of songs and in the Word as well. So I just want to encourage you to watch for those, as we might call them, coincidence today and see what God does um, in this process. You know, I had the privilege of growing up farming. Um, most of my childhood days of farming that I, I remember, I remember one traumatic experience was driving an uh, Alice, Alice Charmer's uh, great big huge tractor with my, my stepdad on the back of a sulky plow, and sulky plow means the walk behind ones, you know, that you're supposed to pull draft horses, and uh, dragging him through our garden on a tractor, I could barely reach the clutch, and we had a great time of bonding out there in the garden that day, so well that I remember it 30 plus years later. That's not the story. I'm just living, reliving a traumatic moment in my life. But one of the things that I learned in watching my dad uh, farm and and us farming, we, we farmed for about 10 years with draft horses. And so I got to learn how to drive a team of draft horses and, and, and do all that work. But one of the most profound things was how, no matter how much work he put in, no matter how many hours we, we labored at uh, producing a crop and all of the fertilizers and the studying that he did, every year the results were still up in the air, right? And there was times where we'd have great production. There were times where we didn't. And one of the things that that I learned, and, and I didn't understand it probably until much, much later in my life, but that there's a, a great deal of faith that goes into farming, um, putting in all the effort, putting in all the work, and then waiting to see what comes out of the ground. And uh, sometimes I think that as, as we consider what it means to follow the Lord, to be disciples, um, we struggle with that dependency part. We struggle with Him being the provider and Him being the source of our hope, the source of our joy, the source of our daily motivation to move and to be. And we need to be reminded, which is so appropriate that we celebrated communion today. In our text, we're following up. We're still in Mark chapter 8, verses 31. We're going to finish, Lord willing, finish that today. Um, and yes, it did take me three sermons. Uh, to get to the end of this, and I think we're done, but we'll know when we finish. But Jesus is teaching his disciples a very important principle about what it means to be a follower of him, and he's using very direct and, and pretty plain language. And so, would you open in Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through chapter 9, verse 1, we're going to read that this morning. But as you think about your life and you think about who it is,
the question, the title that I have in the sermon today is, what life are you holding on to? That as I was wrestling through what, what the, the, the finishing perspective of this text, how do we wrap up three weeks in this text of, of challenging our own hearts and, and trying to wrestle with what God might really be doing in the text in our own hearts? The question that, I, that has been grabbing me is, what life are we holding on to? What is it that we're straining to keep I want to just remind us of where we've been in the text. So the first part of our morning is just going to be to recap quickly, hopefully, um, the, the, the last three weeks. Uh, the first week we saw Jesus teaching his disciples that he's going to suffer and die, right? And, and Peter gets up and rebukes him and says, Lord, you got it all wrong. And Jesus corrects him and says, you've got your eyes on the wrong things. Peter was focused on heavenly things, but what Jesus, or earthly things, but what Jesus was trying to get him to see is that we are to set our minds on the things of God. That's our focus. As followers of Christ, we set our minds on the things of God. Now, here's the, we, we remember the challenge. The problem is, is that we live here on this earth, right? And so the things of this earth are present and they're, they're always in front of us. And let's just be honest, they're pretty attractive. I think one of the things that has been an observation of mine is um, the, the focus on Kobe Bryant. All this week, and I, I was glad to see that they finally referenced the others that had died in the crash as well. But you guys, if we were really focused and concerned about people that were going to see eternity, then we would understand that there's probably tens of thousands of people that have passed away in this last few days that are going to go to a Christless eternity, some of which are soldiers some of which are friends and family members, some of which are unborn, unborn children, some of which are superstars, but all end in the same way and all have to come to meet God. So our focus, our attention, our mindset must be on the things of God. The second thing that we saw is that Jesus set for himself a standard that is very difficult for us to take hold of, right? We must deny ourselves. To follow Jesus, we must deny ourselves and take up our cross. We must die to ourselves and willingly go to our own death daily to follow Jesus. Not something that we do well, not something that we do easily. It seems like it's in complete contrast to our own nature to our own heart and our own desires. And the third, uh, this last week was Jerry, and, and we're going to do a short, uh, a small school test. I realize you guys were not here. It's not a 10-question quiz. It's only three questions. Give me Jerry's three key words from last week. Now, I told, I told several friends, my church remembers what they preached on last week. I was bragging. What are the three key words from last week? Okay, we have urgency, focus, hardship. See, I was so right. You guys are awesome. Absolutely. Hardship, urgency, and focus. All of this points to what 
It, it, it identifies what our focus is, what our purpose is, what do we have our eyes on. If we understand our purpose, if we understand who we're following, if we can get our minds around the things of God, it changes how we live, it changes how we view even this life. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to get us to realize as he's challenging his disciples, is that it really is time to let go of whatever part of this life seems to hold on to us more than Jesus does. Isn't it interesting that he says, if you really want to save this life, if you really focus on on having a good life here, then you're forfeiting your soul for eternity. If our focus is what's in it for me now, if our focus is what I need today, if it's comfort, if it's wealth, if it's possessions, if it's pride, uh, status, and prestige, if that's what we're focused on, then we're forfeiting our soul. What Jesus says is that this life, the earthly existence we have here is not worth our souls. Well, I got to tell you, though, in the middle of that fight, in the middle of, of whatever situation's going on in your lives, uh, it sure is hard to keep your attitude straight, isn't it? Keep your eyes on Jesus. I, I got to share with you guys, um, I'm confessing something today. And it does have to do with driving, um, but just relax. It's not going to be, you, you won't be super convicted. Um, I actually got a gold star this week, and I got, I got a gold star via text this week because one of you observed me be impatient on the freeway. I know, it's working. So here's the confession. I'm in the slow lane behind a semi. A whole lot of traffic's in the left lane. And this lovely church member wanted to wave at me. And so they slowed down to get my attention right next to me in the fast lane. Now, I'm, my confession is this. I was driving watching the sports car, a car back that was going to let me in because I was driving the Mustang, and they're like, hey, obviously you are worthy of going in front of me. So, I mean, that's what I'm assuming, right? It's not true. I was like, man, thank you, dude. And this SUV is sitting right next to me. And I thought, Lord, I'm, I am, I'm just driving to church. I'm, I'm not in a hurry. This is your day. I'm going to preach on giving up this life. So I'm just chilling. Why are they still there? And I looked over, and I saw this sweet face going, hello, it's so good to see you. And it was awesome. And I realized at that moment, I'm like, oh, thank you, Lord, for not letting me have that any longer. <laughs> because why? Think about how quickly we turn from being praising God and celebrating Jesus, having our eyes on him, how quickly we forget. And and the world around us becomes about me. If we want to save this life, we will lose our souls. We forfeit our souls. Now, what's the point? 
If you turn with me into Luke, and, and some of you are saying, wow, Shane, you haven't even looked at the Bible yet. Don't worry, we're going we're gonna to do that now. But the third point today, I, let, me, let me back up just one second. Without raising your hands, and maybe don't make eye contact with me because you might be convicted. You guys, are, are you interested in God's idea of what a Christ-like life looks like. And here's the reason I'm asking. I'm not, don't, don't, like I said, don't raise your hands. But here's why I'm asking. Is that when, you, when I think about my possessions, when I think about my life, my comfort, my position in this life, there are things that I really, really love and enjoy. And part of what I've had to wrestle with, not just this week, but ongoing, is... What if God asked me to give all that up? What if following him, what if truly being a disciple of Jesus meant that he said, I I want you to let go of all of that? All of it. Or let's just not, let's not be radical. That's just nuts. What if he were just asked me to let go, I don't know, of say a Mustang? Would I do it? You got, standing here in front of you, I'd like to say yes. But I'm sitting in that car the other day, and, and the sun was out. It was a day like this, and I'm driving down the road going, man, I love this car. <laughs> Absolutely. We're going to go for a ride one of these days. <laughs> hey, is his mic off? All right, just making sure. (laughs) But that's the question we have, right? Isn't that the point of what it means to decide to follow Jesus? What is it that he would ask us to give up? What is it that he would ask us to surrender? The problem is, and we're going to see this in the text today, he doesn't just ask us for the physical stuff. He goes way beyond that. If it was just the exterior, you and I could pull that off one Sunday a a week. If it was just behaving like Christians and acting like we loved one another and acting like we weren't selfish and didn't care more about us than we do any of you, that would be easy. We could do that. We'd probably only do an hour service. And we probably wouldn't have an hour of visiting before and an hour of visiting after. We'd have to really consolidate our time together because some of us aren't as good as acting as others. But let's just be honest about it. If God came and said, Jane, I want that thing because you love it more than me. Am I willing to walk that road? I believe that that's when we say that it's time to let go. When I wrote that, that was what I was wrestling with. That's the question. Jesus speaks to this in Luke chapter 12. He's teaching, and and a crowds have gathered, and an individual comes up and and brings... 
farming illustration, and, and here Jesus in his parable, he identifies the fact that the farmer saw his life's needs being met by the produce, by the bountiful produce of his farm. And this is the craziest part, is that somehow he forgot to worship God and thank God for the bountiful produce that came from his land. His focus was on what his goods were, what his, what his needs might be. And he, in, in this parable, the farmer came to the point where he thought, now I have arrived. Now I have everything I need and I don't have to worry about anything anymore and I can, I can relax because I have enough. And God said it wasn't enough because your soul is what's important. Our souls, our eternal existence. I love how he points it to, the, to the, the real fact of the matter is that the one who lays up treasures for himself is not rich toward God. What is our focus? Our focus needs to not be on earthly wealth. Now listen, I want to say something in this process. I believe that God gave us good businessmen and, and, and good people with money and people that work hard and make good money, and those, that, that is not what I'm saying. At any point, I think that God has created all of the different variations, and that I mean, I've raised my boys to work hard and to go and make a living and provide for their families, and Lord willing, to to leave an inheritance for their grandchildren. That that is, I think that that's being wise and that's being diligent. But I believe that the point in, in this particular text, the idea behind this is that if our whole focus is, if I make enough money, then I don't have to worry about life. This is where my provision is. This is what I'm trusting in to have peace and hope and to be able to rest. I think then our eyes are on the wrong thing. We now see, we now see something that God might use and and. and bless us with to help others and to use for ourselves, we may be, but we're beginning to see that as the point of worship and not God himself. And so I think that when we think of our possessions, when we think of what we have and, and what God might ask of us to give away, just the simple fact that, that I would wrestle for a moment about whether or not I would let go of it could quite possibly be the indication that it's too high on the list of things that I worship and possibly higher than the value of my worship of God in my life. Now, I'm going to use my own stuff. You guys deal with your own junk. So if there's stuff in your life that you're thinking about as we're going down here, I encourage you to write that down and share it with somebody you trust, but not Facebook. I think that leads to the second part of, of my point three, is don't depend on earthly possessions or circumstances. Isn't it interesting how in our lives, sometimes we look at things that are going on and we think, oh, the Lord's blessing me because this, or the, the adverse to that is that, uh, you know, I'm outside of God's blessing because I'm, I'm not experiencing these great things. And there's times where we can actually redefine what our faith in God is based on our circumstances. Well, and I honestly don't know that it's redefined. Maybe it's exposing what our faith is. When we run into hardships in our lives and we start to question God's goodness, maybe it's the issue that our faith is actually not where it should be. 
Maybe it's the, the, the reality is beginning to be exposed by those circumstances that say, I really don't know God the way I should. I really don't trust Him. I, I, I really don't believe what He says in the Bible like I should. Maybe in those situations, we really should see that as a gift of God as He's challenging and convicting our own circumstances. Because look at what Paul says. Now, you got to remember, you can start turning to Romans chapter 8. You got to remember what Paul went through, right? Uh, we were reading and in, in, uh, doing a Bible study uh, just this last week. We were starting in the book of the Philipp- Philippines, uh, Philippians, and uh, when he went to Philippi, he was so warmly received there that he got beaten and thrown into jail without a trial. That, that was his welcome. Come on in and preach, and then we're going to beat you for no reason, throw you into jail and then try and cover it up. Place you want to visit, right? Paul lived persecution like many of the disciples did at that day, far beyond what we'll ever dream of experiencing, I think, at least up to this point that I've ever experienced. And look at what he says about this relationship between us and the Lord. Paul clearly wasn't aware of Mustangs. Isn't it incredible? You know, when you read in verse 32, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? At any point in your heart, do you go, well, Lord... There's a couple of things you could add to that list real quick that would make me a lot happier. I just think sometimes in my own heart, I look at what God's done and I I disregard it because it wasn't what I wanted. Maybe it wasn't how I thought it should be done. But the truth of that passage, the truth of who God is, is present in that text. Paul seemed to understand that regardless of what he goes through in this life, regardless of the suffering of the work of the enemy, uh, all of those things that are happening, that he's experiencing that in that time, that there was nothing that was greater than the work that God had done through Jesus on the cross. There was nothing And in that, he could find hope and joy, and he could continue to faithfully follow and live in obedience. There's another passage. It's in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, and it's this idea that we would desire a better country. We understand some of these truths. I think in our heads, we have them. And we live in this, in, in this space, and we're challenged, I think, at times by where we live and what we're going through. And, and it's interesting. It's, it's good for me to be encouraged by others that have gone before. I want you to follow with me in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 and 16 people, these faithful disciples of, uh, of God at the time, they were followers of God, and they were faithfully following Him with promises that they did not get to see fulfilled. But by faith, they followed and lived and died, anticipating the work of God, recognizing that He was doing something outside of just their earthly kingdom. It was bigger than that. And so by faith, they died, looking forward to a time and to a place, as he said, desiring a better country. 
one that's not of this earth. And that does not consist of the physical here and now. And yet it impacts how we live, right? Because if by His design, we're engaged in the here and now, looking for the future, looking ahead and serving a God that is supernatural and lives outside of time. James continues to help us with this. And in James' fashion, um, he makes it a little convicting. James chapter 4, verse 1. This new country, this place that we're desiring to be, it's not of this earth. It's not set in this place. And, and uh, James seems to understand, and, and he's calling out, we have to remember, he's calling out the church here. These are people that claim to be friends of God, but they want to live and be friends of the world. They want to have both worlds. They want to live just like the rest of the world is, but claim the benefits of, of the cross. He calls them murderers and adulterers. Isn't it interesting? The enemy hasn't, he hasn't tried to wipe out the church. I honestly think he's tried to deceive us. He's tried to convince us that we can be as worldly as everyone else and still claim to be followers of Christ. That we can have our cake and eat it too. And brothers and sisters, that's just not what the Bible says. You ever wonder why he ends that passage? Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. I believe it's because he was addressing a church that was filled with the facade of joy and hope because their eyes were on the things of this world and they did not see the brokenness and the depravity of their worship. And he James saw what needed to happen was we, that that church, that time, those believers needed to fall on their face before God and become broken before the King of Kings. To repent and to turn their eyes back to Him. You know, it'd be nice if Jesus would have just left us alone and left murder being the actual act of killing someone. But in Matthew 5, Jesus makes it about hating your brother. And he messes with it even more, and he says that if, if a man looks at a woman to lust after her, he's committed adultery. It's not just the physical acts, it's what happens in our heads. So if we're driving down the road and we think to ourselves, man, if only I had that guy's car, then I could be happy. If only I had that guy's bride. If only I had that guy's church. If only I had that job. If only I didn't have this or that. But there's joy in the morning. There's joy when the believer sees where their heart's at. 
Humble yourself before the Lord and He will exalt you. There's hope. Not because of us, but because of God. Our hope, our focus is heavenly things. Look at what uh, Jesus says in Matthew. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. And if our eyes are on the wrong stuff, if we are focused on the wrong stuff, I, I, you guys, I believe that we can be deceived into thinking that we're pursuing, we're pursuing God and we're living as faithful disciples. We're, we're completely off track and pursuing the wrong stuff. That seems to be what James is saying. Uh, it, it, it's clearly what, what Jesus is trying to communicate to his disciples. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. Jesus is dealing with a group of disciples that are passionate about who they think he is because they believe he's coming to reestablish the kingdom, to set it in place, to restore all of the stuff that they have had in their hearts to have restored. And yet, Jesus was looking forward to a spiritual kingdom. Some of those disciples many of those disciples got to see the kingdom in place, in power before they died. Because Jesus' kingdom is a heavenly one. I want to leave you with this passage, just a, a point of encouragement. Turn to Revelation chapter 21. The first things that I grabbed a hold of was verse 4. Uh, the, I, I just like, yes, the tears will be gone, the pain will be gone. Uh, my knees are killing me. I was working in my shop this week, kneeling down and working, and I got up this morning, and I'm like, ugh, why did it hurt so bad? Man, I'm excited about not hurting anymore. I'm just telling you. But... That's, that describes the whole problem. The point of that text is not that we won't have pain, but that we will be in the presence of God and that He will dwell with us. That's the beauty of this text. That's the hope. That's the joy that's coming. It's that God is going to dwell with us. There will be nothing between us because sin will be gone and dealt with and done. That's why we follow Jesus today. Not because of what we get out of this life now, but because of what our hope is, our eternity, the heritage of being called sons of the true high God. So what's the value of your soul? Is there anything on this earth that is greater worth than eternity with God? Here's the problem, you guys. If you can come up with, if that question in your heart, you start thinking, man, Lord, I, I don't know if I want to give this up. I don't know if I if want to let go of this. Can I live without that? And the question we have to ask is, do we have a right view of who God is? Because according to all the disciples, it was worth dying for. According to Jesus, it was worth dying for to live in obedience to his Father. Wow. So what's the life you're holding on to? 
Are you like me and struggle with being consumed by the everyday things of this earth, things of this life, the needs and pleasures of our incredibly indulgent culture? I'm struggling with it, just being honest. Man, I want to live like this. I want every minute and every day to count for the king. I don't want to have to check my heart because somebody at the church slows down to wave at me on a, on a midweek day because I'm so freaking busy driving to the church to get ready to preach a message about not living for this life. Isn't that pathetic? It makes what you guys struggle with look like M&M's. It's not. Each of us have our own battle. We each are coming to a place where I believe we need to come before the king and say, God, is this me? What is it in my life that's more important to me than you? What is it that I worship more than you? I want to give that up. Pray with me. Lord, I would like to say that through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you. <clears throat> through every distraction of this earth, through every painful circumstance, every painful situation, my eyes are on you. And because of that, it is well with my soul. God, would you overhaul our hearts this week? Lord, I pray that you would take away the things that are a distraction, even if it's my Mustang. God, that you would hold my heart. And that my eyes would be fixed on you. Lord, we want to remind ourselves this morning that there's nothing on this earth that is worth our relationship with you, but I need to be reminded because I am so quickly distracted and so quickly fall to the idolatry of worshiping me. God, we give you the glory this morning because you are our provision. You are our hope. You are the source of our life. You are the power that has conquered the grave, sin, and death. And it's because of you that I have the opportunity to call you Father. To call you friend. To be a son or a daughter of the King. Change our hearts, Lord. Make us, by the power of your Spirit, have a new, a new mind and a new view of who you are, that our eyes would be focused on heaven, that our eyes and our hearts would be focused on the things that are of you and not of us. God, I pray all this for your glory, not our own. 
that you would be the king, the living God in Liberty Lake, Post Falls, Spokane Valley, that whatever God you do in this place would, would be that of soul value, not buildings, not budgets, not even numbers, but God, that souls would come to you. May you be glorified in the worship of your church this week as we put you on the throne, not just today, but every day, every morning, as we put you on the throne this week in your name.